How's life going for you now? Are you struggling, under pressure, afraid? Feel like you fight one battle after another? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. In today's lesson, I've got some encouragement for you as we look at the book of Joshua, nine lessons on how to fight and win in the battles of life. The first step to winning the battles of life is to realize that you are in a battle. The Bible describes the Christian life in this way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. That's what it tells us in Ephesians six twelve in the message version. It goes on in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7 with some additional thoughts that are similar, where it says, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, just as I do. This is Paul speaking. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in worldly affairs, for then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. This is very different than many contemporary ideas of the Christian life today, but it's the truth. It is what is true. The book of Joshua can help us, as Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, said in his commentary on Joshua. And here's what he said. He said, a merely nominal profession is easy enough to make and to maintain after the manner of times. He's talking about people that just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and yeah, you know, I'm saved, and you know, I'm not going to hell, and uh, that's what he's referring to as a nominal profession. But he goes on to say, but to be a Christian indeed, through and through, to eat and drink and sleep eternal life, to live the life of God on earth, this is the work, this is the difficulty. As soon as you are washed in Christ's blood and clothed in his righteousness, you must begin to hew your way through a lane of enemies right up to the eternal throne. Every foot of the way will be disputed. Not an inch will Satan yield to you. You must continue daily to fight. The process, these processes, these battles are part of what we call our sanctification. Sanctification is described and defined as being set apart for God's use. As relating to the Christian life, after we're justified, that's the first thing that happens to us. We're justified, and that means we're made right with God. After we trust Jesus to be our Savior, we then begin the journey of sanctification, where God intends for us to grow and become more and more like Jesus. This is a process that will not be completed complete in this life. This is what our battle consists of, and it will continue through all our life. Just as the experience of the Exodus that we previously studied was a picture of salvation from sin, the book of Joshua is a picture of sanctification in both what to do and what not to do. So let's get into it. The book of Joshua opens with after 40 years of wandering, Israel finally gets to enter the promised land. Moses died just before going into the promised land, and he passed, passed on the leadership to Joshua. God was giving it to them, but they still had to fight for it. 
We can learn from what they did well and how they failed to help us in our battles of life. And again, remember, we are going to have battles. Our plan in this lesson, we're going to talk about nine lessons from the book of Joshua, how to fight and win in the battles of life. Lesson number one, God's blessings often include challenges. Lesson two, successful battle plans must be founded on God's word. Lesson three, trust that God goes before you to prepare for victory. Lesson four, make sure of your foundational and complete obedience. Lesson five, do things God's way no matter what. Lesson six, if you disobey in sin, deal with it. Lesson seven, don't trust appearances, always seek God's will. Lesson eight, quitting the battle too soon can have unimaginable negative consequences. And lesson nine, never let age or any other excuse cause you to drop out of the battle. Finish strong. Okay, now let's get into lesson number one. God's blessings often include challenges. One of the most important things to learn in the Christian life is to not be surprised at troubles and challenges or to think that you've had enough. The children of Israel had been delivered from Egypt and wandered for 40 years. After all that, the new generation had seven years. It took them seven years to conquer the land. Seven years of bloody battles ahead. When we face yet another challenge, we often ask, why? And here are two reasons. One, to grow us to Christian maturity. James 1, 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials of many kinds, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you might be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now, to understand how this relates to Christian maturity, we need to understand the real meaning of the word perfect, which is teleos in the Greek. It doesn't mean without sin. Teleos is what what it means in the Greek is actually complete in mental and moral character to be brought to its end, to be finished, to be complete trials, challenges, things like that enable us to become complete spiritually, in other words, perfect spiritually, to be mature in our faith and trust. Rick Warren sums it up this way, where he says, why doesn't God just take away all your problems? And he goes on to say, because God uses tough times to grow your character. If you never had any problems, your persistence, determination, diligence, and patience would never have a chance to grow. God's work in your life during hard times makes having these character traits possible. Be thankful that God cares enough to take you through growing times. If he didn't care, you'd just you know, wander around and be a baby Christian all your life. But he cares enough to take you through the tough times so that you can grow. Second, we endure these various trials so that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort 
with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Our sufferings, keep in mind, are not always just about us. People are watching. They're learning from what we do. Not only people, but don't forget, there is a spiritual audience. Remember the story of Job. He had everything. And Satan challenged God. Does Job serve God for nothing? And it's a rather scary thought that like Job, we might lose what is precious to us or be tempted in some horrific way to show Satan and ourselves and others, whatever spiritual audiences there might be, that no matter what, we will affirm that we serve a good God. Remember, Job never knew why he went through what he went through. There was a huge, um, you might say, intergalactic trial going on with the hosts of heaven watching. And he was literally defending God's character in all this, but he never knew any of it. He finally had an encounter with God, and that was enough. It isn't popular to say that God might allow horrid things, and you'll never on this earth know why, but that is reality. If in the midst of our tears we can say, I believe you are a good God, if we can say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, and I know my Redeemer lives. What an incredible witness that will be that you do trust God no matter what. Someday, Your joy over that time of gut-wrenching trust will be worth it. Lesson number two, successful battle plans must be founded on God's word. Joshua 1, 7-9 tells us, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We must know God's word to do what's right when we're confronted with challenges. There will always be, quote unquote, human ways to get done what we want that will seem easier, more appealing, but that will not result in the spiritual growth through the trial that will result if we do it according to God's way. To be able to respond to battles according to God's word, you need, obviously, to know God's word, both the overall picture of what pleases God and what doesn't, as well as the specifics of what he wants us to do and not to do. This is especially important these days, as there is a loss of common decency and morality in our culture and media. We need to know God's word and his standards ahead of time, so we don't have to stop and think when something happens. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Wait, you know, what's the right way to go? We should know. To use an old analogy, the federal agents for counterfeit crimes don't focus all their time studying all the varieties of counterfeit currency. They study to the most minute detail what is the real thing.
Then they automatically know what is false. They can then spout a spot, excuse me, a counterfeit without hesitation. You need to be able to do the same thing in your discernment in the spiritual world. Lesson number three, trust that God goes before you to prepare the victory. Forty years earlier, remember the spies were afraid of the people in the land, but when they came into the land, they found out that the people were afraid of them. Remember the story of Jericho. Joshua sends spies, Rahab hides them, and before they leave, she says, Before the spies were down for the night, the woman came up to them on the roof and said, I know that God has given you the land. We're all afraid. Everyone in the country feels hopeless. We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you left Egypt, and what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you put under a holy curse and destroyed. We heard it, and our hearts sank. We had all the wind knocked out of us, and all because of you, you and your God, your God, God of the heavens above and God of the earth below. For the last 40 years, the people of Canaan that were afraid of them had been trembling in fear. Our application, if God calls you to do something, he has prepared resources, your audience, many things you won't see until you step out in faith. In addition, God often has people who are ready and willing to help. As Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. They may be unlikely ones that God will put in your path, perhaps for you to change their lives also. So keep your eyes open. People like Rahab, She was a prostitute who helped the spies and became an ancestor of Jesus and a woman commended for her faith with the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Lesson number four, make sure of your foundational and complete obedience. After the spies returned after visiting Jericho, before they could fight, all the males who had grown up since leaving Egypt had to be circumcised. Circumcision was the sign given to Abraham that they were God's people, but they hadn't done it in 40 years. They also celebrated the Passover, remembering God's deliverance. Application here on foundational obedience. Where are you in the areas of foundational obedience? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you been baptized? Are you part of a body of believers? Are you as obedient as you can be to what you know to do? We can't expect God's help in larger battles if you aren't obedient in these foundational areas. Lesson number five, do things God's way no matter what. The children of Israel were told to destroy everything in Jericho. Achan coveted some of the spoils, took them, hid them, and because of that sin, Israel lost in the next battle. We can't pick and choose how we obey God. Not only we alone, but others may suffer because of it. Many died, including Achan and his family, because he thought he could get away with disobeying God. Now, when this happens, and it will, we will always mess up. Lesson number six, if you disobey and sin, deal with it. 
Joshua cried out to the Lord, Oh, Jehovah, why have you brought us over the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Why weren't we content with what we had? Why didn't we stay on the other side? Oh, Lord, what am I going to do now that Israel has fled from her enemies? For when the Canaanites and other nearby nations hear about it, they will surround us and attack us and wipe us out. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up off your face. Israel has sinned and disobeyed my command and has taken loot when I said it was not to be taken. And they've not only taken it, but they lied about it and have hidden it among their belongings. That is why the people of Israel are being defeated. That is why your men are running from their enemies, for they are cursed. I will not stay with you any longer unless you completely Rid yourselves of this sin. God didn't want Joshua to wallow in regret or sadness or whatever. He told him to deal with it. Application. When things go badly, pause, pray, ask God if any sin is involved, if you honestly don't know. Or if you're disappointed with yourself, your sins, your habits, whatever the issue, get up off your face. (laughs) Deal with it no matter how hard it might be. In 1 John 1, 9, remember it says, if we confess our sins, that's specifically naming them. He will forgive and cleanse. We must confess and then accept God's forgiveness. We then need to get up off our face and get back into the battle. Don't wallow or throw a pity party or think God can never use you again. Yes, you may have been quite horrible recently or in the past, but excessive wallowing can be an excuse, a reason to hide and not be part of the battle. Now, here's two quotes that I found helpful at times like this. Alan Redpath said, No sin which we are capable of committing has ever taken God by surprise, for he knew we were just like that. And C.S. Lewis reminds us, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than him. And remember, forgiveness isn't about us being worthy of his forgiveness. We aren't. God's people never have been and we never will be. He used Moses after he murdered a man, Peter after he denied him, Paul to build his church after he tried his hardest to destroy it. It's not that we aren't as bad as any of them or that any of us deserve forgiveness more than they did. The point is, our God is eternally gracious and as merciful and as much the God of second chances as he has always been. So get up off your face and back into the battle. Lesson number seven, don't trust appearances. Always seek God's will. The Gibeonite deception in Joshua 9, people who lived nearby pretended to be from far away and asked for peace and the leaders of Israel granted it. They didn't ask for God's discernment. They were then obligated to fight for them and had continuing troubles because of them for generations to come application. Always take time to seek God's will, no matter what the pressure. There'll almost always be a time pressure to do something too quickly. To not wait, in reality, means you don't trust God. 
Sadly, there will also often be people who will pressure you to act too quickly, to decide, to do this now. Don't do that. Always. If things don't feel right, if you don't have peace, no matter how good something looks, don't act on it until you know what God wants. Lesson number eight. Quitting the battle too soon can have unimaginable negative consequences. They didn't drive out the Canaanites completely. In passage after passage, it tells us that they quit too soon. Here's one example. There was none of the Anakims, or they were the giants, left in the land of the children of Israel. Eh, Only in Gaza, Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. Now these and other pockets of Canaanites that were left were a source of sin and misery throughout their history. The Goliath who fought David, he was a giant from Gath. And they still are today. The Gaza Strip has been a source of continuous conflict for centuries. And in the Middle East, even today, there are battles there. I have a picture, if you're watching the video of this, of a destroyed school in Gaza. This is a recent picture. This has continued to be a problem area because Israel did not do what they were supposed to do thousands of years ago. Now, here's a hopeful example, a contrasting example of how to finish well. And this comes from the 1968 Olympics. During that marathon, a Tanzanian runner, Akwari, cramped up due to the high altitude in Mexico City. And because of that, he fell badly. He wounded his knee. He dislocated and injured his shoulder. However, he continued running. He finished last. The winner of the marathon, Mama Walde of Ethiopia, finished in 2 hours, 20 minutes, 29 seconds. Akwari finished in 3 hours, 25 minutes, 27 seconds. There were only a few people left in the stadium, and the sun had set. As he finally crossed the finish line, a cheer came from the small crowd. When when he was interviewed later and asked why he continued running, even though he was very badly injured, he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Application. It is often near the end of a big project or a difficult trial that we want to quit. And it is that last 10% that's the hardest. The one more final draft, the last correction, the additional thing added to a ministry outreach. We are exhausted and tempted to think it's good enough. But that is often the time to press through, press ahead, do the one more thing that needs to be done to do all we know the Lord wants us to do. What if Jesus had lived his perfect life, healed and preached, but did not go to the cross? He finished what he came to do. He finished his race. We are also called to finish our race. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since, and this has been talking about all of the heroes of the faith that came before us, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run 
with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Speaking of Jesus, as this passage in Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured. May we do the same. Lesson number nine, never let age or any other excuse cause you to drop out of the battle. Finish strong. Caleb was one of the spies who trusted God when they first came to the land, and now he's still, 40 years later, ready to fight when he says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, so here am I today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, these are the giants, were there and their cities were large and fortified. But with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. And he did. And then it goes on to say, Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then in parentheses, it tells us in the Bible, Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who is the greatest among the Anakites. Caleb finished the battle when others quit. He went for the city where the biggest and the baddest giant lived, and he defeated him when he was 85 years old. Other Israelites ran away, allowed the giants to live among them to their later pain and regret. Caleb continued to obey God in the same way he had as a young man. Application, of course, age, any age is irrelevant to eternal people called to serve God. You are never too young to begin to do great things for God. You're never too busy in middle age, and you are never too old to do what God wants you to do in your dreams, obedience, and calling in the kingdom of God. Now, in review, we've learned nine lessons from the book of Joshua. Lesson one, God's blessings often include challenges. Lesson two, successful battle plans must be founded on God's word. Lesson three, trust that God goes before you to prepare for victory. Lesson four, make sure of your foundational and complete obedience. Lesson five, do things God's way no matter what. Lesson six, if you disobey and sin, deal with it. Lesson seven, don't trust appearances, always seek God's will. Lesson eight, quitting the battle too soon can have unimaginable negative consequences. And lesson nine, never let age or any other excuse cause you to drop out of the battle. Finish strong. Some final words of encouragement from Matthew Henry. We should not pray so much for the removal of an affliction as for wisdom to make a right use of it. We only bear the cross for a while, but we shall wear the crown to eternity. 
May we all be strong in our battles so we can say, like Paul at the end of his life, I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Remember these lessons from the book of Joshua, determined to finish strong and fight well the battles the Lord gives you for your good and His glory. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pren, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.